Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today um, I'm joined by a fellow podcaster, not just any podcaster, but somebody who's actually in kind of like the Apple charts, probably the most best performing DC podcast, I'm going to say, probably in the world. Well, it's up there. Um, and uh, his name's Amr Singh, and he's part, he's also known as ramblings of a Sikh on instagram and on his socials and the podcast itself is called the Sorge podcast welcome to the bandwagon no thank you thank you i don't think i've ever had such a uh such an amazing introduction like i i only post when i get into the apple pod charts just because i'm like hopefully someone else will see this and then go listen to it um yeah. because i'm sure you can relate and you spend a lot of time and effort into organizing the podcast to do recording it editing it, everything else that goes with that and then sometimes you're really like i hope people kind of appreciate it as much as you've put the work into so um yeah but to, to have such an introduction though thank you and uh, equally thank you for for having me on the the podcast no, no not a problem man it's just one of those accounts where like i found myself um Anything could kind of like Sikhi based, really. I was always going back to kind of like you. You go to, I go to like three or four uh, established uh, Instagram pages for kind of information, and like yours is one of them. Like Sikh Expo, for example. I won't go into the other ones just in case they get taken down. You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> you know, I always find it fascinating. And you know, we were just speaking off air in terms of like um, you know how we how we're able to balance our lives and do this and do and do whatever I, I really want to dig in deep in terms of your kind of your skill sets or the way that I would describe it as uh to be so uh have such a wide perspective on such a wide variety of uh on um subject matter so in, in terms of from a start point can you just tell me um a little bit about the, the rumbling of the sea kind of profile itself and yeah. uh, then the 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 actual podcast itself as well yeah yeah sure um so ramblings of a Sikh has been something that in, in in its entirety is probably just over or just close to a decade old which to some is kind of a bit of a surprise because i think a lot of people have only come to hear of it in the last kind of year or two yeah um and basically what happened is um I went to university, uh, I did a history degree. I actually, even though I got straight A's at my, uh, during my A-levels, I had to go through clearing. So I ended up at a university that I never actually planned to go to, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I got there, it was Royal Holloway in Egham, which, although they class it as a University of London College or whatever. Um, and like, I, I absolutely loved it. And I loved the fact that like, there was just a breadth of information and there was never kind of a challenge to dig any deeper or to find out more or to ask questions. So I got to university, absolutely kind of enjoying my first year. And like, obviously in Freshers Week, you go and join up uh, at all your societies and there wasn't a Sikh society. The Sikh society had actually closed the previous year or something. Like, I don't know why or what happened, but like, there just wasn't one. Um, anyway, before I could do anything, Sikh society had been set up in kind of a few weeks by some other first year students. And so we went as every good Punjabi person does, every good Sikh person does at university in their first year, they go to the Sikh society, right? Mm. So we go to this first lecture and I was so excited. I was like, yeah, this is going to be brilliant. It's going to be someone who's really good. And like, 
it was terrible. I can't describe how bad it was. It was like attending a Punjabi school class for six-year-olds, but it was delivered to like, I don't know, we were like 18, 19 at this yeah. point. And it really like, and I'm someone who's always had a bit of an anger issue since I was quite young and it really pissed me off. And when, and like, excuse my language, but it really did annoy me. Right. Um, it annoyed me so much actually that I went back, like, actually I asked him a number of questions and he never really gave me a response. And they were just kind of some questions that had been coming up from just kind of researching and, and, and just digging deeper. So I think he had, he had kind of just given like the straight definition of, of a few things. And I'm like, you'd ask him something and he just wouldn't answer the question. And I'm like, well, all right, this isn't helping. So went home, started up a blog. And that was first called Ramblings of a Sikh because it was initially me just, well, the first of all, it was just responding or just rambling inventing, yeah, yeah. to this lecture, to this lecturer who, who, to be honest, I don't even actually remember his lecture, but I just remember kind of the, the effect of it. Um, and it got a little bit of traction and I thought, all right, well, I'll just continue. So as I'm doing my history degree, I'm sharing bits of information, kind of like what I'm doing now on Instagram. But at this point, it's on a blog spot. Like back in the day, back in 2010, it was like blog spots were all the, the craze, right? Yeah. And so then I'm, as I'm doing my degree, I'm sharing information. In my second year, I did a project which was to look at um, basically the like the codification and the kind of the differences between all the Sikh death up to that point. And so it was looking at really old ones so like things like Prem Samadag and then looking at stuff like the SGPC one that was codified in like the 1930s 40s and seeing how all of these were different and where they varied and why they varied and looking at all these different texts so that was great third year my dissertation if I remember the title correctly was um outline 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 the ideology of post-colonial Sikh insurgency or something. And it was basically wow. looking at 1984 and trying to, trying to define the ideology of everyone involved in the movement, but taking it away from the usual Judeo-Christian kind of Western lens of these are like religious fundamentalist separatists and, and all the kind of usual bequests that you hear. <laughs> um, and because I'm doing these kind of topics, I'm just sharing snippets or sharing essays, actually, because I'm literally I'm getting them marked and then I'm uploading them onto this blog. Um, and again, it got a lot of traction. Um, and then I left university, finished my degree, finished my history degree, really enjoyed it. Um, and then didn't want to get a job because I was love. I love being a student. Yeah. <laughs> so Classic I did. It. And it also delays the marriage. Oh, yeah, yeah marriage of course. Yeah. And, and, and on top of it, I was like, I don't want to get a job. I don't want to do anything. I just want to continue being a student. And <laughs> you love the NUS, yeah? Oh, I, everything about it. And I, I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> listening to it who are students are probably like, yeah, I can, I can kind of see, especially third years, people in there, like getting to the end of it are like, oh God, all right, I see what he means. Um, so I don't know whether it was a, a good thing or not. Perhaps in hindsight, I, I would have picked something different, but I ended up then picking to do a law degree, um, but for graduate. So they stick three years into two years and it's quite fast paced. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but because I was doing something completely different, ramblings of a seat kind of stopped. Life just kind of took a different turn. I got busy with other things. Um, pardon me. Um, 
and then it kind of just fizzled out really like as in i had the i had a facebook page that was set up in 2010 or whenever and a twitter account and and again i just stopped using them like carried on with life um got a job like graduated from having a law degree got a job like just moved on with with kind of growing up um and then lockdown happened <laughs> um and covid hit and first time the first lockdown that happened i kind of went like quite health focused so i would just go on a run like every day and you know it was at that point where you could only go on a run like you could only go on do exercise yeah for like an hour and you could only go on your own and all of those like really weird restrictions so again i'd go i'd go on a run um and i'm sure you've heard of him as well seek archive the guy behind that is a dude called sukraj um and during lockdown i think just before we started to talk and like i really enjoy his podcast and like so when i'd go for a run i'd listen to to, to his podcast and i'd really then want to ask him questions mm. and then again we'd get talking but then i was also like actually why don't i just ask so whoever like so if i got a question about this why don't i just go straight to them and i was like yeah maybe kind of just forgot about it and then he kept pestering me. He was like, look, I really think you should do a podcast. Like you should do a podcast. And I was like, meh, okay, perhaps. And then I think it got to like the, one of the last lockdowns. I think it was like the November before everything kind of before opened back up again. Christmas about to get canceled. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's about this time. And um, like during lockdown, there was only so much you could do or like only so much TV or kind of screens you could look at and so it forced me to start reading again and like you could look at the bookshelf behind like there's so much information locked in some of these books and so I was like all right if I find this interesting I'm sure someone else will find this interesting so I was like all right perhaps I should restart ramblings of a seek and like to add some context to this in my job role, part of it is a social media manager. So like, I was like, actually this could gain traction. And I'd kind of done like an assessment of the Sikh Punjabi social media scene. And I was kind of like, there's a gap and there's the gap that I thought I found was information about our history and our past, but without any kind of judgment so to speak like there's there are obviously boundaries within which we have to work but almost kind of providing it to the person and letting them decide or letting them go to the source that you reference or or, or whatnot um and so yeah that's how kind of ramblings of a seek restarted as an instagram page twitter kind of then followed suit and then as you can imagine with the research comes along kind of like wanting to find certain books or whatnot and so i was like if i'm looking for these books I'm sure other people are looking for them. So again, yeah. kind of that's what then gave rise to the shop. And so everything from that point has really kind of, kind of like helped each part, if that makes sense. So then even with the podcast, like a lot of the time, and I say this to most of the guests that I talk to, which is, I just want to talk to you anyway. I'm just using the podcast as an excuse. Yes, yes. And then I, because I kind of think it might be interesting, I then record it and I share it with everyone else and people yeah. seem to f appreciate it. So I kind of get something out of it. Everyone else gets something out of it. And hopefully the, the, the guests on the podcast equally get something out of it. Um, and so kind of in a short summary, that's kind of how it started and then how it got to where we are. So like, you know, did you ever feel like 
uh, whenever you were interviewing somebody from there that because your passion and your enthusiasm was so much when you were trying to ask those questions that you'd feel like you started dominating the space I think what I try to do with it is is that like so with most of the podcast there's either a topic or a or right. a subject that we're going to cover so it might be that like the the guest book or it might be a topic that I considered them or they are kind of uh, an expert on or at least someone who knows enough or is wiser than most people so to speak to yeah. to, to, to question um and then to kind of help structure the conversation what i usually do is just put together like a batch of questions and i get them to review them and so as we're talking although it might naturally kind of go one way or the other it's always kind of focused on the topic or the subject matter because i am um... One, one of the things I remember at the time, I did a politics degree. And um, when I was looking at, um, you know, like there used to be communist political systems or new social movements or uh, a lot of the times, uh, some of the books, if you were trying to get from abroad, were very, very heavily censored. It was, you, you didn't really have access to quite a lot of the books. And I remember, you know, I was about, I was speaking to my lecturer about a potential kind of assignment uh, around kind of like British politics and um, and the, the kind of the effects of the what, what was happening around the wider world, or especially around 84. And he just said, oh, this is going to become with a health warning because one, they had no idea themselves yeah. themselves. So they were like, how are we going to verify these information? How are we going to actually, we could, I could be writing a whole story and then have no way to kind of prove what was, go what was going on. How difficult for it was you for you in that? in that position obviously i'm a little bit you know your title to start off with is much more fancier than, than, than what I <laughs> but like how, how difficult did you have the same issue or did you have uh how did you navigate around that it's it's interesting what you've said because i kind of had similar experiences in certain regards but equally in other regards i think it there was so, there's been some change um i don't know what's happened in the last decade because i'm completely out of the loop but i hope i I don't think it's got better considering what's happening in the wider world, but I do hope that that it has. Um, coming back to your question. So during kind of my second year project, I actually remember on the uh, the the sheet that you get back. So you have to hand in your essays yeah, 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 yeah. and then they staple on their stupid little <laughs> yeah, sheet with their comments, the right? You can't forge it then because it's already, there's, it's yeah. like, double back, like, a, like a crap builder's receipt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you go and collect it from the you'd go and collect it from the history department building. And I I still remember to this day, I think I've even still probably got the essay. It was someone in pencil had written 70 and then they'd rubbed it out and written 69 in pen. And that's obviously the difference between a first and a two one on, on the essay, right? And so I went and asked them. I was like, how like first of all, why did you give it to me and then take it away? And essentially the answer I got was your essay makes complete sense and we understand and, the, and everything else that goes with it like meets the first kind of uh, grade criteria, but we don't have anyone who's an expert on this subject matter. And so at that point I went, ooh, I think, I actually, I remember having this conversation with my dad and I go, I think I've kind of shot myself in the foot because next year, and I, I, I hadn't already figured out what I was going to do, but like they obviously give you your options to pick at the end of second year for third year and i remember the dissertation topic the 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 module that went with it was um 
called religious fundamentalism. So I always knew it was going to have to be to do with something to do with Sikhs in 1984 and the way that we had been kind of framed within the, the world media and everything else that goes with that. Um, and so when it got to that, again, my uh, dissertation tutor wasn't an expert on Sikh history. He was actually, I think, an expert on like Islamic history and Pakistan or something like, or, or like the like Iranian Muslim history or something quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously doesn't really have much to do with, with Sikh history. Um, and again, in terms of the books and, and again relates to kind of why I set up the shop, which is like, I remember one of the main books that I was trying to get a hold of was, um, can't remember the author's name. I think it's Rajbir Singh or Rajvir Singh something. Um, he's done an English translation of like almost every, uh speech and he's dated them all and he's the kind of like written where they're recorded and everything else that goes with it and i think at that point you could only buy copies of it from america and it costed 150 quid and i remember as a student going all right i need to wait for my loan to hit and the first thing i'm going to do is buy this book and like 150 quid, even today, it's a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. money. And the book is like, it's an amazing piece of, of, of literature, but it's not like there's no book in this planet that's worth that much. I don't think there's very few, if that. Um, but again, it was worth the weight in gold. And again, it, it was literally the core text that I used for the dissertation. Um, and so hence why I kind of I set up the shop, which is to try and provide people with a central location to find, just seek literature and for it to be easy easily accessible and hopefully affordable because like as a student it is like you don't want to be spending that type of money and then on top of it you're paying shipping fees because it's not coming from the uk mm -hmm. um so in a way things hadn't really changed because there wasn't someone on like an expert on that subject matter equally perhaps we're too niche of a subject matter at the moment or we just don't have people in those institutions to do that or to look at that because there are obviously Sikh academics in certain institutions but yeah I, I also kind of find, uh, found that in um, you know in, in as in, in work-wise around kind of like health as well um, health academics are very rare now especially and you're going into a niche of a niche now with kind of like Punjabi or Sikh kind of uh, health literature um, and it's really, really difficult. And, um, you know, I think it's slowly getting up with, with all the, uh, with all communities. It's not just the Sikh one. I think if you're kind of one of those migrant communities that had come over, especially in the 50s, 60s, you're going to have this, yeah. this issue uh, to start off with. I think some were more complex than others. Yeah. Um, but we hope in, in, in another 50 years time, you know, a lot, a lot of information would have just, you know, uh, I think would have been documented in sub down. I think some of the older stuff might just be always have that question mark in terms of kind of the validity of it anyway. Um, however, if you kind of recognize that and say you should have enough of the modern kind of narrative in there to kind of explain that and you know to come out of it. So where I saw like you were just so <laughs> I was I really struggled to kind of uh, when I was preparing for this for this podcast, I really struggled to start like find out where do I start because you've got a shop as well with it you know you just you just lightly just talked about it but you 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 know you're giving something back in that sense in terms of those struggles that you've had you set it up a central location with all this i mean how much do, how much of your time does that take uh 
Well, put it like this, I've lost an entire room in the house to just storing books. Um, right. and, and so I think that perhaps puts it into context. But no, I think it's also like, if you have a passion for something, and if you genuinely care about something, you don't necessarily see it as like, I don't see, like, as in, I understand it, it does take up some of my time. Um, but it's kind of like, I don't mind it. Like, it's just something that I like that. It's almost, it's almost natural. So yeah, I perhaps probably spend like an hour or two, maybe each week or so just organizing everything. Um, but then obviously having to dispatch orders depending on when they come in and stuff like that, or like does mess around with my workday a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of like the, the impact of sharing this information and this literature for me is far greater than the inconvenience it causes. Cause I remember how annoying it was having to try and find just some basic, basic books that now are actually quite easily accessible back when I was at university. Yes. Um, and so I'm kind of like, you know what, if I can have, and, and to be honest, I've had a few students and even academics, people at universities ordering from the shop being like, you know what, I've been looking for this book for so long. I'm really happy that I've got it. Um, and so if I can help, I guess I should let you in on a little bit of a secret, which I also set up Ramblings of a Seek the second time around, because I've always wanted to take history kind of to a high level. So go and do a PhD and everything that goes with it. Obviously they cost a ton. So I was kind of like people use social media to do all sorts of things, become famous, make money, X, Y, and Z, like whatever it is. And there are people who have made themselves famous by doing just most random of things. So I was like, why can't I kind of almost use social media and the information that I've got access to, and then almost go into these institutions through the back door. So I don't have to do a PhD. I can just kind of like create an ecosystem which helps incubate something and hopefully people are then attracted to it and it grows into something more almost like developing something organically and hopefully hoping it develops into like this huge tree um so yeah in, in a nutshell it's kind of in a sense there is a bit of a selfish motivation because i'm like hopefully i can gain something more out of this or it may be easier to i don't know get sponsorship if i ever try and do a yeah. phd um but equally it's almost like look man there's people out there who donate stuff for pataki i'm sure with for something <laughs> like this they they'll do uh you know you, you should get a couple of pounds somewhere down the line yeah yeah no definitely definitely i, I just want to um kind of go more into some of your work and that now if you don't mind um one of the things in terms of kind of the, the well, I'll, I'll start with this line of work first. As you started your collection and you're building up, was there, do you remember a fundamental time, a one particular moment where you read something and you thought, oh my God, I didn't know this. Was there like an epiphany moment that you felt like that you wanted to share straight away? Oof. Uh, I think one thing with, um... so I think one thing with, Sikh history or just religious history per se is is that pretty much everyone who prescribes to that religion grows up with a particular narrative or a particular understanding of their past and normally it's there to inform their identity right so a lot of the time when people are in kind of a, a bit of a struggle 
and especially amongst the Sikh community, we'll think about people like Baba Deep Singh Ji, people who will inspire us and hopefully kind of we can take something from their stories and and take strength from that and kind of overcome the obstacle or whatever. Um, and I think when you've grown up with something like that, when you start to read stuff that is unadulterated, it's not censored, it hasn't been through the sieve of time, it hasn't been through the hands of historians and people who don't want you to read certain narratives, everything actually comes as a surprise. So I don't think many people have access to it because it's out of print at the moment. But if anyone's ever read Brahm Sumarag, which is arguably a Sikh text, some people argue it's a Brahmanical text, it's a Hindu text, that I'm not making any claim to, to which side here because I don't want to get crucified. But if you've ever read it, you'll be absolutely gobsmacked because it is such a world away from the world we live in. And I think as a whole, that quite happens quite often. There have been a few kind of random bits and bobs that I've like that I've come across. So the, for me, one thing that I always found interesting was, especially within the Punjabi community, is uh, I think Guru Gobind Singh Ji's wife. I'm pretty sure it's his wife adopts a child. So after the Sebs are the are made shaheed, after Guru Gobind Singh Ji passes away, Mataji is in Delhi. And she adopts a child who happens to be also called Ajit Singh. Now, when I read that, I was like, the author's probably got this wrong. Like, you, sometimes, like, these things happen. But how would then you, I, yeah, how would you, yeah, so I'm guessing you get to the point, how do you validate that, yeah? So then I start digging into it. Other sources of, like, kind of primary sources, Sikh sources, British sources, everyone is agreeing that Mataji has an adopted child called Ajit Singh. And I'm going, wow, okay. I then also went, all right, perhaps everything that's written is wrong. So then I go and ask a few other people. So I think um, there was an episode I did with Kamal Preet Singh Pradesi about Vedant. And I thought, all right, he's the perfect guy to go and ask. And I asked him and he goes, yeah, this is like, this is legit. I went, all right, amazing. Now, first of all, within the Punjabi community, I'd like, I don't know about you, but certainly amongst the community that I've experienced, like adoption is kind of like hush. I've never really heard anyone speak about it. So the fact that we have someone within our history who is as important as Guru Gobind Singh Ji's wife adopting a child, for me, challenged the narrative like instantly. I should add that... Um, Mataji adopts this this child, Ajit Singh. He tries to then set himself up as the guru. Obviously, the Sikhs around him don't like this. So they essentially, I wouldn't say they physically assault him, but they kick his ass, in, in other words. Um, and Mataji essentially abandons him and says, yeah, like, I, I don't want anything to do with you. So it's not necessarily a happy ending, but I just found the fact that there was an adoption story within Sikh history just just such kind of a like light bulb moment where I went that changes everything so imagine if the community had had kind of made more of that point for the last three four hundred years mm. like it, I, I did I did like I didn't know that at all exactly so so that that's one um other things what else there's there's loads of like random bits so um I think there's also a lot of obviously contra like controversy around um, like events of 1984. So seeing certain photos for like 
I'd share quite most of them to be honest, but like some of the photos from nineteen eighty four and around that time, they're not necessarily like um they don't necessarily change the narrative, but to be able to see things you've always heard of, like it just kind of changes everything. So the photo of the women looking through the windows to see who they can spot. And you can only imagine what they're thinking. I think things like that, that bring kind of history. What was it? Yeah, for those people who um, obviously haven't seen it, are you able to just kind of describe it? Yeah, yeah. So um, if anyone's ever been to Hermanda Saib, there's like obviously the the the, the middle kind of where the Guru Granth Sahib is kept is the right, is the middle kind of the Dabar Sahib, the golden temple, literally. Um, and around that is what we call the Parkarma. And I think this photo is taken from one of the corners I might be like, I might be wrong, but sorry, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a photo taken from one of the corners and uh, of the Parkadma that is. So almost like kind of as though you were on the Parkadma, but looking towards like, like the, the, the corner point. Um, and, and this is a photo taken by quite a famous Indian photographer called Raghu Rai, who's also published a book called Amritsar and it's in this book. Um, and it's essentially they've just opened up from what the caption said. They've just opened Harmanda Sai back up after 1984. And it's women who it's a black and white photo, so you can't necessarily gauge how old they are, but they look that they're obviously adult women. Some of them are of like kind of like my parents' age or, or elder grand, grandparents. Um, and some of them are like climbing up to look through windows. Others are kind of just everyone's just scrambling to look through something to see who they can see inside these rooms. Now, everyone kind of knows what happened during 1984 and the kind of like the desecration and the murder that took place at the hands of the Indian government. So you're just thinking, imagine my mom's trying to look for me after something like that. Like imagine, like, because this happens during Guru Arjan Dev Ji's Guru, Shahid did the Arai, if I remember correctly. There are thousands of innocent people. There are just thousands of people here. Forget the terms innocent. And so imagine if you go to Gudra one day and then your mom has to come and look for you. Like there were just so many questions that go through your head yeah. when you look at this photo. Um, so that's something. And again, I'll, I'll send you the photo and share it with you so you can include it if you, if I've, you'd like. I've, 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 seen, I've seen it. It's, it I, and I, again, I'll, you know, I'll be encouraging people to go and have a look at your Instagram and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you'll be you'll be seeing it on there. But I, I remember it because it was posted several times. I think Sukhojan I put it up. And wrote yeah, a, yeah, yeah. She put up, um, you know, a long caption about it that she just couldn't get the image out of her head for, you know, for about a week or so that she was talking about it. And I think it's like it's that for me. And again, like I just can echo what Suk is saying, which is it's like certain f images are just viscerally ingrained into the back of your brain, and what that's one of them. And for me, it really like and a lot of other people, as 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 like you you were just saying, like it doesn't change the narrative but it brings it home like it makes it feel realer because you hear about these things and a lot of the time and to be fair with most of history it's in the past so so you're kind of detached from it but things like that just yeah it's 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 emotive it really does bring yeah, it yeah you know like i i went but um i went to india not um many years ago many many years ago and um there was um I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was another guy from another family who was, uh, who was coming from abroad and they were just talking about kind of like, they going like, what was it like, you know, in the bend? What was yeah. it like around the area? What was it like? And it was like, 
you could just see the person who we were who we were with, you know, really jolly, really. It was like a switch just came off in their head. Like they just don't, they just did not talk about it. Um, it could have been just him, yeah. but he was just talking about more the kind of the famine, the the curfews, all of that kind of stuff that was that was that was happening from there. The things that I didn't I didn't know, but I was, um, you know, it was it's something that it's a subject that's so emotional yeah. from various aspects from it. You know, I I'm not even qualified to go down go down that road, but I you know, but you you get a general gist of from yeah. reading and see what's happening. But I thought his emotion from what I saw there was probably the most powerful thing that I saw where it was just, I can't deal with it. I can't talk about it. It's done. You know, mm-hmm. that they were just, they were just thinking, I I can't give energy to that. He was like ex- facially just exhausted out of him yeah. just in a split second. I think with that, and it's always interesting because I've got a, 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 a podcast upcoming um with Kavita Puri about partition and equally I've done some podcasts about partition in the past and I think one thing that 1984 and partition share is that those who experienced it went through insane amounts of trauma it through and I'm not comparing the two in terms of what happened but just in terms of the trauma people underwent for them it's not history it's their lived experience and I think when you have those conversations with the people who who lived through history so to speak I think it changes everything and I think in a way that's also kind of why I started the podcast which is to try and start those conversations and like make people talk more and go and ask them whatever because if I'm actually kind of adding everything and being completely honest part of the reason why ramblings obviously kind of restarted was um so I come from like, I don't know what the politically correct terms are now because I'm too, like, I'm too old and things have changed. But, like, I come from a mixed heritage background or whatever. Like, I don't know how they define it, right? But um, my nanny was blonde hair, blue-eyed Christian. My nanna's a Hindu, Bengali uh, from Calcutta, Brahman. Um, my mom, obviously, was uh, then met my dad at university. Eventually, she made him take Amrit, which I think is kind of the coup de grace of everything. But... um. Yeah, and and again, my dad's side of the family are from Africa, Nairobi. Obviously, like a lot of Sikhs are uh, in the UK, um, and so I got an itch for wanting to find kind of like my family tree. Um, and one thing that I, I mean, found, just, just what you're going through there, that's a that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up obviously in a fantastically diverse family, and yeah. I think one thing that I find really amazing is when I look back at my childhood. Um, this was at a point where like I was like so I'm a, I was born in 91 so I grew up kind of obviously through the 90s um and this was a point where you remember where ZTV brought out the original Mahabharat series yeah I'm like I used to see that on like the BBC man forget the ZTV though like you're just a kid yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, we used to remember this, it could be a Saturday you just come back from shopping and everyone used to just watch it just keep watching it and watching it and so it's, you and- must watch the rerun of it Oh man, I absolutely, I loved it. So I like, so I was a massive, like, so again, I'm just showing how much of a 90s baby I am. I was a massive, like uh, Power Rangers fan, obviously. Yeah. And so for me, Mahabharat was like, and I didn't have a concept of Indian, but it was kind of like our version superhero of the version. Power Rangers. Yeah, like our superheroes. And I always found it fascinating that there'd be these demons and then these gods and there's this. And like, I actually kind of call it like the Avengers almost. Um, <laughs> 
And what I found fascinating was my grandma, my daddy, we'd sit there and she would literally religiously explain to me everything that was happening. And it absolutely caught my attention. Like every, like I wanted to know more about the characters. I wanted to know about the history. Then I wanted to know about the philosophy. And in some ways, I definitely took it for granted back then. But in some ways, it really did help make me because like just that appreciation and also the fact that she was Amrit, like she's an Amritari Gursik she's someone who doesn't need name nine to five like five to five to nine even um like on it just prop like someone who you just act like everyone's bimbi is just someone you absolutely adore so even the fact that in some way she was crossing religious boundaries although for me i like it's obviously a bit muddled or just doesn't even exist um it was just it was amazing and again it gave birth or kind of help to catalyze that interest in history which again you can see um has obviously taken off is there a particular part of the Sikh history that you're mostly fascinated that you have a more keener interest on oh man uh you're asking me hard questions now um thank you <laughs> <laughs> you know how hard it is as a podcast oh, ah, that's <laughs> difficult because uh Okay, you can say, I'll give you two or three. You don't have to just say just Oof. one. So if I have to pin one down, I think it it depends, like, the reasons for. Like, so for argument's sake, I would absolutely love to be able to historically, like, when I say historically, again, people will critique it because, like, Western methods or the rest of it. But um, I would love, like, kind of, pa like, passion projects, so to speak. I would love to kind of do a almost like a modern version of Macaulay's history of the Sikhs which is looking at kind of the, the whole guru period and looking at all of the nitty-gritty details pardon me sorry um looking at all the nitty-gritty gritty details I'd absolutely love to do that I think that'd be something that would take infinite lifetimes though because they're just there is just so much information um for argument's sake, I'm sure you guys are aware Javad Singh and uh, the Sudaj podcast he's going through when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply through and like he's spent i don't know how many years and he's only done like 10 percent. so again like he puts it into context and that's just looking i think at guru nanak devji guru guru hard devji guru hard saibji maybe it's not looking at all of the gurus um that would be something i'd love um i guess if you were to kind of ask the question in the sense of what period of history would i love to go back to Okay. Okay. I think, yeah, I, okay. I think I'd love to go back and there are different reasons for why. 
I would love to go back to the where would like literally the point of Gunanik Devji because like no matter how hard people try, no one can ever define Gunanik Devji. No one's like, yeah, this is this is Gunanik Devji. There's always more. There's always something else. There's always another perspective. And I think to just sit in the presence of like of the ultimate mystic, someone who is completely self-actualized, someone who is like who is the manifestation of existence i think you just become instantly enlightened like i i just oh god i'd absolutely love that then in terms of wanting to kind of actually like do something else rather than just sit in their presence i'd love to go to again back to the point like good gobin Singji, kind of points where the Sikh community is pivoting and having to redefine and kind of figure out which direction they're going because again after gurujin devji shahidi the community splits and almost splits into two there are um there is essentially kind of an internal struggle between who is guruhas gobind sahibji the legitimate guru and is the way he's taken the guruship actually the way of the sikhs um and i'm pretty sure the tirmaliya on the other side again i might have that wrong but again there's there's essentially someone else trying to contest and it's I think it's Guru Arjan Devji's brother. So it's Guru Arjan Devji's brother essentially against Guru Arjan Devji's son, who's Guru Hargobind Saibji. So again, I'd love to be there. And also just to see how the community figures out. Like, so I know we take it for granted that Guru Hargobind Saibji is the sixth guru. And there's all sorts of research and books written on that. But at the time when the community was deciding what they decided, like I just love to be there just to see how they went through that. Because obviously there were disagreements and how did they then approach it or how was that figured out and again some of Javala Singh's podcast like does explore that um and then again with Guru Gobind Singhji because the Amrit Sanchar again something we take completely for granted but at the point that Guru Gobind Singhji asks people to step forward some of the Sangat run off to Guru Gobind Singhji's mom and says mother and says Maharaj has lost like he's gone crazy He's asking people to come forward and like he's he's executed and all the rest of it. And again, it's like I think for me, it's just those turning points of all right. Let, like first of all, just the characters, just to even have the good karma of being in their in their just physical presence would be insane. But again, to witness those pivoting points of history, um, so they're the top three, I'd argue. So you know when you when you when you're looking at this, some of the the books that you've got there how do you validate which version and which accounts the correct one because i'm sure when you've gone through a lot of these books that they're, they're kind of conflicting in there the ones arguing against the other one how do you you personally make that kind of uh um that deduction of saying this is the i'm guessing i'm going to hedge my bets this is the correct way so personally for me i think what i try to do is i try and gather as much information about the subjects as I can and then most of the time if you look at it chronologically and this is kind of then goes steps into historiography and like the history of history if you look at it chronologically people usually take what someone's written before and then add something else or or infer something or stretch it a little bit further so if you can go back to the first point that you find something 
and again you'd have to dig a bit deeper to make sure that it is one of the like the first point so to speak and then work forward you can kind of see how the narrative changes have you got an example of that so i know i'm just putting you on the spot for this i'm just oh it's a good okay so for argument's sake um I think Dasamgrant is perhaps well, a, a subject matter that is probably okay. Hold on. Uh, actually, maybe like even all right, even Sadakor to some extent. So this is Madaj and Jeet Singh's mother-in-law. Um, some of the information, like so, for argument's sake, if I ask most people of this generation who Sadakor is, they'd probably be like, "I have no idea." Like, who is this person, right? Um, and if you go and dig into some of the like first history books, so I'm, when I say first history books, I'm saying some of the first kind of major historical works to focus on Sikh history or Punjabi history. So we're talking like Hariram Gopta, uh, even Mokolif, um, he's going back a little bit further, or Cunningham. They mention certain things and they're pretty clear, like Sadakor is a badass. She's like half the reason why Maharaja Danjit Singhji is on the throne. And yet, if you go and read some of the kind of, say, 20th century work on Maharaja Jit Singhji, especially kind of in the kind of the latter half, much of it is very much focused on how Maharaja Jit Singhji is one of these like uh, men of history. He's one of these major figures who just kind of turns up, kicks ass. He's always destined to get to the throne and then he gets to the throne. And now we've got to a period where people are now looking back at it and saying, hold on. That's not the whole story. There's more to this. There's reasons why he got to where he is and all the rest of that. Um, and again, I think a similar things happen with Dasam Granth, which is if you look at 18th century Sikh history, there is no question about the legitimacy of Dasam Granth um, whatsoever. Like they are pretty clear on it, that like its position, its place in the Banth. And then we kind of get into a British period um, and soon after, we have essentially what I would call, like, well, the Singh Sabha movement. And a lot of these people throw Dasambani out because for them, it doesn't fit into their newly defined definition of what a Sikh should be. Um, and yet in, the, yet, in the last kind of, I'd say, 10 or 15 years, we've seen a complete reversal. The Sikh community are now very open to Dasambani. A lot of the younger generation understand its history, where it's come from. Is that how because it's... of the access to information now? I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, academically, obviously, people are doing work in the background to help challenge the narrative and help bring that information into English. But then equally at the same time, like I don't think, sorry, I don't think anyone can be ignorant to the um, power of just the internet and social media. And I think the, like these aren't like the fact that we're having this conversation is an example of people just wanting to know more. And so it's almost like the community wanted to fit. It's almost like the community wanted to figure out which way they pivot. They've most of them hopefully have done their research and a lot of them have come to the agreement that, yeah, it makes sense. And then equally on top of that, I think we also need to kind of pay respect to the fact that like institutions within India, within Punjab. So even like the, the Nahangs, the Bundadal and stuff like that have been doing a lot of I wouldn't say work, but they've been making themselves far more present within the community. Um, the Jatidar of Burdadal was in England twice, uh, in the obviously before COVID. And again, I think things like that kind of 
take things out of the realm of question because then it's like, all right, these respected historical institutions who have a legitimacy going back to the gurus have been practicing this essentially unadulted for 300 years or however long are now within in, in front of you doing the same thing. Like, could it really be incorrect? Um, so I think it's kind of a combination of everything, which is like, the environment's changed people are just again we're growing up in a we grow up in a space of like fake news so people want to go and verify things and so i think it's almost like everything's been perfectly placed to help alleviate the burden of kind of what was happening i'd in say I'd, I'd argue in the like early 2000s where everyone was like no the sambani is not allowed and all that kind of stupid shit did you um ever get to a point where you felt like you wanted to start your own sort of chronological series of of books and then become an author yourself so kind of having it a literature version of a podcast you know what is really interesting is um my dad used to say this to me a lot when i was uh, at university and he'd say i think you should write a book on Sikh history and it should be the book that um secondary school kids should be studying and at gcse and all of that um I, if i'm honest yeah i would love to i'd love to write a book or a number of books on Sikh history I, whether I'm qualified, I don't know. I think I have a massive passion. I think I need a little bit more kind of, uh, what's the word, polishing. And then I think I'd be up for the challenge, but I'd love to. I think the other thing though is I'd kind of almost like to turn that into something. So one thing that I think is really, really desperately needed, and I perhaps I'm giving the game away and someone else is going to beat me to it, but is creating something like, so I don't know whether you've seen, there's a great series on Netflix, uh, which is about Roman history. And there's another one on Netflix that's about uh, Japanese history. And it's, it's, it's just, A, it's enthralling, but B, it's historically accurate. I would love to create some sort of, and it doesn't need to be as great as Netflix, but some sort of like kind of historical narrative, YouTube series, animated series, something which essentially goes from kind of day one to whenever um and i think one thing that i would try to provide is kind of the alternative versions so with a lot of i think with a lot of early Sikh history and i'm talking like prior to guru arjun devji and even even around then some of the facts aren't they're not necessarily murky but there are different versions some things aren't necessarily verified um and especially some of the janam sakis some of the stories so for argument's sake there's a janam saki image of guru nanak devji and uh bhagat kabirji together obviously that's an imagined scene right but uh, but a lot of people would argue oh that's history they definitely met if you do the numbers it's pretty much impossible they ever met and there is no there's no verification they ever did like so just putting that aside um but just to provide like i think one thing which i really like to try and do is provide as much information to the person as possible and then they can go and figure out whatever kind of they do or don't disagree with um and so yeah trying to do something like that would be but wouldn't I, that be it. wouldn't that be just like the 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 ammunition that you you know the community just hates to just destroy somebody you you like you could do 98 percent accurate everything the two percent you know they would just say oh yeah he's, he's, he said this it's, it's not true i think that's always been a risk so i've always been very careful with yeah. what i say what i don't say um 
and a lot of the guests on the podcast can um can attest to this which is like i share something sometimes during recordings that i then cut out and edit because there is no way in hell i want the greater general public knowing certain things or necessarily hearing certain things because out of context they can be misconstrued or they could be like it, i just i think social media is a great tool but it's also very dangerous and so yeah. you have to be quite careful um and so yeah i think with that in uh in kind of the back of your mind and also i think as you grow a little bit older you get a little bit more aware of how to kind of step on eggshells or circumvent certain or issues phrase it yeah yeah or, or kind of and again that's also why i try to provide the information in a you should read this and decide for yourself rather than rather than me trying to pass judgment and be like this is what you should do or what you should be aspiring to do that isn't for me to say or to judge so i leave that to to, to whoever i've had gorinda man on it i've known him for um a number of years and i know you've interviewed him quite uh a couple of times, is it? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, especially he's a font of knowledge. You know, like like yourself. Um, you know, very, very passionate, and and started so kind of <laughs> almost by fluke, really, accident into the, into his whole career. Um, when I was interviewing, one of the couple of the key things that he said was that the the campaign for to have a kind of like a Sikh museum, have the the artifacts in in one kind of central location. And have it done in a more strategic way. Do you do you kind of do you agree with that, or you know, or do you think it should be, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? In terms of then having some type of institution that is maintaining and preserving our artifacts, we've got people fighting over Gorlok. Imagine now I put into the mix. I don't know. There's a cannon from Maharaj and Jeet Singh's period, and it's worth. Pfft, 50 grand for argument's sake. You're, there's no way in hell that you're not going to get at least someone trying to fight over that. And I think I would love, in an ideal world, I would love if we had Sikh maintained spaces or Gurdwara managed spaces that did look after these things and did kind of create the infrastructure. So for argument's sake, they funded people to go and do training or PhDs in for argument's sake preserving i don't know texts from the 17th century because you can't just like if you've noticed my actual kind of physical collection is just whatever is literally on the wall and that's because there's a lot of like science and understanding behind maintaining some of these artifacts so i think in short we don't have the skill set we have the money but we don't really either have the management system. So I think maybe in a few generations time, maybe like my kids generation, perhaps things would have changed and we will, we might see a space that kind of puts all of this together. But I think at the moment, it's just a push from one direction. You, you I think there's more to it than what kind of people perhaps perceive it, it, it's made of. Look, look, looking back and kind of re reflecting in your own personal journey, you know, what would be one of the kind of the first bits of advice that you'd give yourself, especially when you're starting out in doing a podcast like this, because of the, you know, you've talked about the passion, you've talked about the time, you talked about the emotive kind of revelations and some of the things that you've got, you, you, you've gone through, but, you know, for me kind of listening to that, 
um, you know, it, it does bring a bit of a heavy load. It could be almost a bit of a lonely journey, uh, lonely journey in that way. How do you cope with that? Uh, I think it's it's kind of um, it's double sided. So one thing I think that's really helped is just like my practice. So I know a lot of people would say it's your nithname and it is, but kind of just getting up, doing your nithname, doing some meditation, and having that space and that time to just whether you call it unwinding, relaxing, kind of grounding, just that time to just kind of recalibrate really helps detach from some of the, just the emotional baggage that you can pick up throughout the day. Um, again, I think I referred to early in the podcast, like I used to have an anger issue. Imagine I was in year three having anger management lessons between classes. Yeah, I'm in year three. I don't even know. Like maybe I'm like six or seven or something, right? Like I'm a little like I'm a little goodie by sing at at primary school in year three having to have anger management lessons. I remember this one time this kid opened my drawer. And I, I just got annoyed and I just slapped him as hard as I could in front of everyone. Like these were the anger issues that I had, right? So you can understand. And now why... you're like a six foot four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like... my, oh, mate, my teachers used to be petrified and so were my parents. They were like, if he carries on the way he is and like the, how big he is, like this is going to be a disaster. So again, like good was good and everything worked out. But um, yeah so in terms of in terms of kind of that i think my practice definitely helps but then also one thing that you realize is and when i say realize like we can intellectually talk about it and we can say we get it and we can say like oh yeah i agree i understand that but when i say like you really understand it like i think you kind and I know it's a bit morbid and I don't mean it in that sense but Gurbani says the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again which is you're born alone you experience something you describe as life which is essentially just a mirage it's maya and you die and that's it and then afterwards we'll find out but you start and you end alone and everything else in between is just a distraction unless it's kind of helping you get that little bit closer or kind of help further something for the better of someone and again i think it's come with age you kind of just ignore it or you kind of just brush it off because if you let every little thing or every little bit kind of get in the way you're just going to be stuck so i think having having that practice and then also just having that understanding that comes from Perhaps it partly comes from the practice, but also just comes from life experience and I don't know, trying to live up to, trying to aspire to the things that I read about or the people that I read about. Um, I think those two things definitely really help. And then what, you know, it's quite an emotive time as well. I've you know, used that word so much time, so many times. As well. You get conscious of those things, especially during the podcast. But Oh, man. What, what do you, in your kind of... Um, I mean, as a historian, you don't very rarely, I'm guessing you very rarely look to the future. You, you're always kind of looking back backwards in, in some aspect. Well, I think one thing with history, and I think one, and again, it relates back to partly why I decided to start Ramblings of a Sikh again, was like researching family history. And I know that's not necessary. again, it's in the past, but it informs your identity. So... And I think that's the other thing with most of history, it informs your identity, it informs your present. And in a lot of ways, it does inform your future in the shape of your children. So 
one thing I'm sure you're aware of is, is like as much information as you can fill your kids with the better, especially when it comes to understanding who they are, but their understanding of who they are largely and, and likewise with ours comes from our understanding of the past. Like I get your Sikh, but you were born into a Sikh family. So it's your parents really that made you a Sikh. Like you see, like as in everything you can kind of argue kind of fits a similar pattern. So I think for me, it's kind of that, which is I get it's the past, but a lot of it does help to inform your future. And then also your identity is just completely central. And and one thing that I always struggled with is like, so um, as I said, I grew up in a mixed background, like mixed family or whatever. My mom always agreed to keep our kiss. And so we always grew up like I never knew any other. But we went to a primary school. There were a few, few India, a few Asians. Again, like I remember, get, I remember being called a Paki and I was in primary school. And I was being called this by the kids' parents, man. Not even some of the kids, some of their parents. So as a child, I'd be like, mom, why are they calling me this? Like what? And then you'd be like, oh, that's like, that's essentially they're being racist. And you're coming to understand what racism is. And I haven't even left year four or year five at this point, right? So I think having some of that, like those bad, those kind of bad experiences help then to go, all right, I need to figure out how I can inform the next generation who they are and like what they're going through. So they don't have to go through that and they understand certain things. And then when I got to secondary school, it was a Church of England school. And again, like I had no idea, like when I said no idea, like your identity is very much formed by the people around you and I didn't fit in and I was like I wonder why like I wonder why like and again kids can be quite mean in an innocent way like then they're taking the piss because I look different and again wearing the start at school it was always something that like was natural but I found it odd that people would take the piss so I remember talking to my dad being like what like literally like what is like why are they doing this like and almost having an identity crisis going like is am I the problem or like what? And then obviously coming through that, and I think that's also why there's such a passion, which is I'm sure other kids or other people are going through that. So it's almost like showing them or showcasing something to be like, look, or just sharing those experiences and be like, look, we went through a similar thing. Like everyone isn't, and I know not to sound cliche, but like everyone isn't alone if you choose not to be. Like if you choose to kind of engage, it, it, it normally helps. Yeah, I mean, like, just you've kind of said a couple of things that really struck home with me as well because of I, mean, I grew up in Hansworth in Birmingham, and like uh, somebody who was from a white background was almost like a minority in my school. I would say not that, not not bad. Like there was, yeah, yeah. There, there's everyone was well represented. This was, yeah, was yeah, yeah. right, a nice concoction. And when I went to secondary school, it was like dwindling. And then as I was going, I went, as I said, I did a politics degree. The, I was like, there, I think there was only two or three people with brown, like from a brown background in, in total. And I'm saying just South Asian in general. Yeah. And it, you started to become more of a lonely experience. And then you used to start hearing some of the language sort of creeping in. And then um, I, I felt it more when I was in the police, where I heard, well, I was working in the, in the police as a drug worker where I used to hear some of the language of, of some of the workers there as well. And it used to be just, you know, just not represented. And, you know, you do a comparison of your kids and as your kids are growing up and, and um, um, somebody who's like in a, a class uh, got called um, or oh, just something like, oh, 
you smelly pig or something to you know what to, to that and um and i was like is that a cuss because like you know you know that like, that was nothing you know that was that, that was that's being friendly that's standard yeah yeah and yeah. so you just see this kind of the, you can see the language dilution you know it's, it, it's happening but language matters representation matters yeah. as well and you, and you go through so you know, you you said about learning kind of the the, the lessons of the future that will almost come from from our from our past. What do you predict the next six to twelve months looks like for the Punjabi Sikh community, for example? I think one thing for sure is um, we've seen a galvanizing of the community that I don't think we've seen like that we've certainly not seen in my lifetime. I don't know whether people older than me would argue that we've seen this prior to the 90s and i'm and i'm sure we i'm sure we did during the 80s especially like when 84 happened but the farmers protest the farmer laborers protest i should add um really galvanized the community in a way that i just don't think we've i've ever seen um the sad murder and assassination of siddhu musiala although an absolutely tragic and terrible event again it's galvanized the community in a way that i don't think i've ever seen and again i don't think i i don't think many people have seen really there's still um, a huge like hangout like yeah it's been a month today a dull, there's still a dull pain everywhere isn't there it's complete and i think if anyone who obviously like knows of the tupac murder and the biggie murder and the and the hold that that has on kind of the hip-hop and the rap community in terms of what actually happened and who did it and the impact of that on popular culture i think we're we're seeing something similar if not bigger with what's happened with sidhu and i think again we'll see what happens with in, in future in terms of how the narrative unfolds things just get more bizarre by the day again i don't think anyone has faith in the indian judicial system like uh, i've spoken to a couple of journalists off the record and when i've been like do you reckon we'll ever find out who actually did it no no one's no they're not they're like no you're very unlikely to like they might put whoever down for whatever but whether they actually did it or not who knows um and then also just the botch job like i remember seeing the videos of the car that siddhu was assassinated in and it's just like people are just rifling through it like how is there any kind of integrity but anyway putting that aside and again with his song that's come out syl i know there have been a couple of kind of critiques of the historical narrative that he puts forward in the the the, the song but it's like I don't know, like, I don't know how to compare it because I don't think we've ever seen an artist ever take such a stance at such a high level. Like, I know it's released after his death and all the rest of it. Obviously, he had to still compile it. But like, it's almost like, I don't know, like Tupac or not even that. It's almost like, I don't know, think of the biggest Western rapper or music person you could think of. I don't know. Let's. I have no idea. I'm trying to think of someone. But it's like spot. even like Drake. Drake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Drake. I don't know. Dropping a song talking about the rights of the native Canadians, and it getting like and it being the number one trending song on YouTube for like three days, and then the Canadian government having to ban it in Canada. Like I don't. And again, I think, I think we really underestimate the events that have taken place in the last literally two or three years. I know. Some of it is horrifically tragic 
and I'm sure everyone in this world would almost give what they could to like to undo certain things. But I'm really interested to see where that energy goes. Because I think one thing that I've always found interesting with our community is sometimes the energy boils up like milk, like when you're making chai, it boils up. And then all of a sudden it just disappears. So I really wonder, is the community going to make good of this? And how are we going to make good of this? So I know like Simran Jit Singh Man's been voted in uh, in Punjab into whatever he was contesting for. And like there are some positives that seem to be happening, but I wonder where all this energy will go and what will happen because like what happens if people don't get the answers they want or things take a turn and they're kind of like, we don't know. Or like, I just, I just wonder like what, mm. where will this go? How will this pan out? And equally what ultimately what benefit are we going to get and how are we going to get it? And I'm just talking in general, I'm not talking necessarily just on the protest or Sidhu's assassination or just a song, but everything, because people are already asking questions. All right. So what is the, SY, what is the canal? What's its history? How does it fit into kind of the past? What does it do without 1984? And I think as soon as you've connected that, you've done half the job because the other person's going to go and do the rest. So maybe we won't see the impact of this for another generation, like the children who are consuming this music when they grow up. Like, so I grew up with a lot of Tupac, a lot of Biggie, a lot of rap, a lot of reggae music, a lot of uh, ska, a lot of... Yeah, I mean, you had a very eclectic uh, record collection based just on your back. Yeah, 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 <laughs> completely. So when the kids who have been growing, who have been growing up listening to Sidhu and, and again, a lot of his music doesn't necessarily talk on such kind of historical or political uh, ideas, but they're eventually going to listen to that or they will listen to it and... I wonder, I just, I think there's a lot of positives to come from it. Exactly what it is, I would be hard pressed to say, but I just wonder where, like how this energy is going to be navigated or, or kind of dispersed or whatever. Okay, um, I'm going to kind of bring it to a close at this bit now. Omar. I, I know you do extremely like long ones as well. So, you know, it's a, and that isn't it. That is a talent in itself, uh, you know. Um, it is it is called the bandwagon. So I give an opportunity to the guests whether they want to either jump on a bandwagon or jump off a bandwagon. Or if there's anything that they want to get off their chest, this is the space to kind of do it. Oh God. Uh the band. All right, what bandwagon could I just get on or get off? Um oof. man, your questions are actually quite difficult because they put you on the spot and then I'm like, damn, I wonder I wonder actually what I could um... <laughs> No, because what this is what is good for is that you'd always want to come back. It's, yeah, yeah. I've thought about it, so I kind of is a bit of a. So I think it. one bandwagon that I'd love to get onto, and one that I've always struggled to, is like you know sometimes. So one thing that I always get, and I'm sure you sh you can share in this, is sometimes you see another guy's beard, and you get the like you just get beard envy. Beard envy. Yeah, yeah. And like there are there are so many things that I see, and they've got like the they've got like the Rick Ross beard. They've got like a really bushy, really like, and I get beard envy. So I'd love to jump on whatever bandwagon these people are are on, on the in product. terms of yeah in terms of their kind of beard care or whatever they're doing or whether they're just born with it i don't know um 
that's that's a bandwagon I'd love to be able to get on, but I just you don't know you are the, in fifty odd episodes. You're the first person who's actually said they're jumping on a bandwagon. That'd be one I'd like to get on, but I just don't have like the. I don't know whether it's the patience or like I've never really been someone to care much about like that type of stuff. So I don't know. And then perhaps a bandwagon that people want me to get off is like I have a habit of wearing like really like florally like design like just quite um what's the word out there or unique t-shirts and like this is velvet so that's something that i think people want me to get off but um it's one that i probably firmly am staying on to <laughs> well I, fair play to you i mean the fact that it, it was a, it's a loud shirt which is lovely and it's floral that's great but then when you drop the velvet in there it's velvet know. it's so it's so comfortable and it's like so i don't know whether you can see but like it's like oh, yeah yeah so um that's simpsons no? no, no, no. So it's like, hold on. Art. I thought you said yeah, bars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, no. So um, I remember seeing this after we'd gone on holiday in Italy and we'd gone to the Vatican. And to be fair, I don't need to be uh, cautious of this because it's fact, like newspapers have reported about it. But obviously, if you look at the history of the Pope and the Vatican, it is very dirty and very murky, let alone in terms of kind of stuff that's happened in more recent times to do with children that I don't necessarily want to talk about. But just in terms of how it acquired its wealth, uh, some of the kind of the conquests it was involved in and everything else. And if you go through the Vatican or ever have the pleasure to go to the Vatican, some of the corridors are, I mean, they are like dripping in jewels. They are absolutely like, I've, it, it's indescribable how just insane it is. And I was always like, and I know this is being quite cliche, but I've always liked these, these so-and-sos have become rich off the exploitation, largely of a colored other. Yeah. So whether that's, they've gone and I don't know, they've sponsored the ships that go to South America to kind of take over, colonize um, Brazil, et cetera, or whether they're involved in something to do with Africa. And so I saw this t-shirt and I was like, and I know it's kind of a bit of a, like a ridiculous thing, but I was like, I'd love to wear their art because like I'm taking their art and making it mine. Like I'm putting it on my body. Like, so it was almost like a, I know it's, it doesn't actually mean anything, but in my kind of haste, I was it's like, like yeah, a, a this you two fingers back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 completely. So um, yeah, I thought why not? And and it's really comfortable. So, so yeah. That's the most. Well, I'd like to uh, thank you, man. It's been fascinating, um, uh, you know, this conversation. Um, I'll definitely, you know, have the, the doors open for you in terms of anything you want to plug or get you back on. I'm sure we'll be doing this again shortly. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. But um, I just got to say, like, a massive, massive well done in terms of getting the podcast out there, flying the flag, um, you know, doing unbelievable numbers as well. And I, I'll urge everybody to go and jump on your socials. And do you want to just give them a shout out and... And, and yeah, how yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so on, I, I think the best place to probably follow me is on Instagram. So that's Ramblings of a Seek. I am on Twitter, but that's Ramblings Sync. I think someone else has got the other handle, unfortunately. Um, and then if you want to find the podcast, it's on YouTube again, Ramblings of a Seek, or you can just search um whatever podcast player that or platform that you use. So Spotify, Apple, all of the major ones. Um, you can either search for the Sorch podcast. So that's S O C H or you can search for ramblings of a seek and it should appear on either one um and then yeah also make sure to like give me any feedback leave any reviews um because things like that really really help 
Mm-hmm. And um, so just done a little bit on, a, on on the positive in the charts then. So how high have you got up to now? Oh, uh, so within the UK, I don't think within the UK, I don't think I've broken past the top 100 yet. So the way that it works is it's obviously quite difficult to keep track of the part of the yeah. charts in real time. So like there's a few websites out there which you can sign up to. And they'll email you every day at a particular time and kind of say, this is where your podcast charted. But it's usually slightly delayed. So I got an email one time saying I had I had ranked like 70-something within the UK. But when I checked, it was like 120 or something. So I was like, mm. so I can't, I don't really count that. Um, but kind of internationally, I think we've been in the top 10 in like, some random countries so i think like luxembourg we rank quite often in india as you can imagine sri lanka is another country that comes up quite a lot um there's loads of, like and even like we get a lot of people listening from brazil like as in like some countries that i just wouldn't imagine and obviously like the the, the countries that you could um you would think have the biggest diaspora community obviously rank there so like canada america um so we've broken into the top 100 and even in the top 10 in some, but within the UK, and that's obviously the one that I'm kind of measuring myself. It's been top 200 a few times. So it's not bad. Like this is just no, no, in my spare time. It's good. And anything we could do to help push it, that's what we got. That's what we got to do, help empower others. Yeah. All right, mate. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for coming out. Wish you all the best. No, not a problem. Thank you so much for having me, man. No problem. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.